As we think about what a, what a good church is, if we're trying to answer that question, what is a good church, we're starting this new series on the, the health and the mission of a church, but if we're thinking about what a good church is, it's going to depend on what we think the church actually is and what the church is, is here for. And there are different things that people have in their minds when they think of this is what a church is or this is what a church ought to be. Some people, we might not say it like this, but sometimes this is what comes across. That if we think that a church is, it's another uh, community service group, then we exist. There's the Rotary Club, you might have a Lions Club, uh, different things that do good community service, and that's a good thing, and the church is one more of those. Or maybe the church has a bigger focus on uh, social uh, action in this world, or even social justice, working for these type of things, that the church is basically a nonprofit for social causes. So if that's what you view a church as uh, being, then the more that you're accomplishing those things, then you have a better church, and that's what it's all about if that's the main focus. Is the church a, a political action organization? Uh, that we're here to uh, promote certain political causes or political parties, that that's what we're gathered here for. Is the church a social club? Is this church a place where we gather together and the main point that we're here is because we have friends, it's fellowship, maybe we're making some uh, new friends, some business contacts, uh, doing some networking. And if that's the view that church is primarily, it's here as a social club, uh, we're going to view the success of a church in a different way. And what is a good church? You know, the more friends, the more contacts you can have. Uh, what are the amenities of this social club? Would our church be better if we had a, a bowling alley? Should we put in a, a golf course? And are we wasting time with other things that we're doing? Uh, I mean, we have this whole room here that could be a great Starbucks instead. And instead of using this time singing and listening to some guy, you know, blather on, uh, we could be doing some of that instead if that's what the main purpose of a church is. Is the church primarily a, a concert hall? This is a venue for you to come and to hear a concert. And so you're gonna judge a church by, do you enjoy the, the concert that's being presented for you uh, by the, the band that's on the stage? And you're the audience here for the enjoyment of uh, the concert being put on for your pleasure. And if that's the case, you're gonna pick whatever church uh, is the best concert venue for you. Different mindsets that people have of what a church could be. Is it about entertainment? Come to the church that's most like a movie theater and you can just be entertained as you uh, come here. Or is the church, is it like a, it's, it's a self-improvement center? It's for um, therapy. Uh, you come in to, to, to learn to be a better person, different ways, maybe to be challenged, maybe to just uh, have your, your soul soothed. And therefore, we should make sure that we don't see anything that's going to disrupt your, your tranquility and your peace as we get into a state of uh, Zen here and maybe do some uh, you know, Christian yoga or something. Or maybe it's a place where a venue for TED Talks. We're going to give you a quick motivational uh, lesson, impart some quick, you know, dump some knowledge on you. Or motivational speakers. We're here to, uh, to get you all uh, you know, motivated to come in so you can live your best life now and so that you don't waste your life and end up living in a van down by the river. <laughs> and that's what this is all about. Is it a checklist? Is it just something you got to do?
to make the wife happy, make the husband happy, make mom and dad happy, and how can you get in as quick as you can and most painlessly check that box that you went to church so you can get on with your life and the things that you really want to do? Is it a hospital for sinners? Maybe we're getting closer to the mark there, but what do you mean by that? I think you mean that in a healthy way or maybe less healthy. What do you mean? And is it the ultimate thing? Or do some of these have a, a glimpse of part of the purpose, but they could be taken way the wrong way, but they're also not actually the main thing? So I think it's important for us uh, to continue to realign ourselves as a church. And uh, a lot of this message, I'll say, is, is preventative. I think for the most part, the core people of our church, we get it. And I think we are on target with what we're supposed to be doing. But it's important that we uh, continuously, you know, realign ourselves because it's so easy to drift. And it's so easy to, to uh, change from what uh, we're supposed to be doing and slowly getting off target without realizing it, where we morph and become something that, that Christ didn't appoint the church ultimately to be. So the series that we're doing now and uh, for a while into the future is on the health and the mission of the church. Think about what are we, what are we supposed to be doing? What's the most important things? And I think we can think of almost anything that we do as a church and your life as part of it is how does it contribute to both the health and the mission of the church? Who are we, what are we, and what are we supposed to be doing? And I think thinking both health and mission, both of these are important. You can't really have one without the other and have it really make sense. Uh, you could, otherwise, you know, if you don't have a mission, if you don't have a purpose, you know, it's like uh, going to a gym and you find a bunch of uh, guys that are just, you know, weightlifters and they're massively, you know, ripped, I mean, beyond just what it takes to be healthy and they're there and, you know, they're able to, uh, you know, lift huge, you know, amounts and they're standing around, really not doing anything, I mean, you know, lifting weights, so they could lift something that actually mattered, but there's, they could if there, you know, if there was a reason, you know, if something happened, I guess there was a car accident and they needed to quick lift a car off somebody, they'd be there for that, but right now there's really no reason, you know, they're prepared, you know, they're, they're bulked up, but they, they don't really have a reason, they don't really have a mission for this. You know, on the other side, you could be people that have a, they have a mission, a clear mission, but be so sickly and infirmed. You're like a, like a sickly army that has, has a, a, a mission. They know what they're supposed to do, you know, but it's an army that's like, you know, all Captain America's. But before he became Captain America, okay, he's a scrawny little guy. And now think of that, like, you know, now they've all spent the winter at Valley Forge, okay, and they're, they're sick and they're, they're, they're coughing up stuff and they're losing limbs. Uh, they have a mission, but they're not healthy for the mission. And so a healthy church, what we want to be is we're both healthy um, as believers and as a church together, but we also have a mission. We know why God has called us and what he has called us to do. And both of these things are important. You really can't have one well without the other. One reinforces the other. If you're not on the mission that God has given you, you're not healthy and you're not going to be healthy. But if you are on the mission, it's also going to help you to be healthy and to grow as Christians. So a lot of things we could talk about. In the bulletin, you'll see the, the messages that are, that are coming up. A little 
realize there's so many more things we could talk about, and we're going to try and pack core things you know, into this. Uh, but we're going to start with the main thing. The first things first. That if we want to think about why do we exist as a church, what is our main reason for existing, that I will put this forth to you, and I will defend this, because this is true, that our church exists for the glory of Jesus Christ. That is our reason why we exist, and that is what we are doing as a local church. That's our goal. Do we always do it perfectly? No. Are we growing? Do we want to grow to do that better? Yes. Are there other things that we do as well? Yeah, they are. But ultimately, that is where everything is supposed to funnel towards. That is the ultimate uh, crescendo. All arrows should point to this, to the glory of Jesus Christ. And that is why we get together. Because Jesus Christ is the head of our church. The church is the body of Christ. There's the universal body of Christ. All believers everywhere. Church is not the building, it's, it's the believers. And then the local church is an organized manifestation, part of the body of Christ. And it needs to have, ought to have, has to have that same mission. So uh, Jesus Christ is also the head of First Baptist Church of Middleville. Uh, it is not me as a senior pastor. It is not uh, the board. It is not the members as a whole. We are part of the body of Christ, and Jesus Christ is the head. He is our authority, and he is the one that we exist for, and he is the one that we want to shine the spotlight upon. So it's not about our glory and our name for ourselves, but it's about the name of Jesus Christ, his name, his reputation. We want him to be preeminent in everything. Colossians 1.18, and he is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in everything he might be preeminent. He, Jesus Christ, the one that ought to be, that is first and foremost. So, I want to go through a few just kind of uh, thesis statements to kind of break this down. If you've been here for a while, some of this is going to be familiar, and I hope so. I would hope that after uh, you know, going into year 10 as pastor here, uh, that this wouldn't be the first time that you've heard me say that the glory of Jesus Christ is the ultimate thing. But we need to continually realign ourselves to this truth. So we think about our mission. And I don't know if without looking at the bulletin, if you could state our mission statement, a little challenge for you. Of course, the mission statement itself is not the word of God. Uh, but it's something that we've used to try to summarize the Word of God. And so our mission statement, and it's also point one here, is that the mission of our church is to magnify the glory of God by multiplying and maturing followers of Christ. That's a way that we've tried to put this in a nutshell, and you know, we tried to use a bunch of M words to make it memorable, and whether it is or isn't. But we talk about uh, the reason that we exist, the ultimate thing we want to do, the very first part of that is magnifying the glory of God. And the other things are part of how we do that, how we want uh, the, the name, the glory, the reputation of Jesus Christ to be lifted up. Talk about to, to magnify the glory of God. Uh, that's another way of saying to glorify God. 
And God is glorified through Jesus Christ. That's what we see in Scripture. So to magnify means to glorify, to exalt, to value, to treasure, to, to praise, to love from our heart. Different ways of saying this. Here are some passages uh, from the Psalms that talk about magnifying the Lord. And remember, Hebrew poetry doesn't rhyme with sound. It rhymes uh, with meaning. So a lot of times it'll, you'll have two lines, and it's basically saying the same thing uh, in two different ways. So here, Psalm 34.3, O magnify the Lord with me, let us exalt his name together. So here, magnify and to exalt the Lord are used as the same thing. So praising and lifting him up, to, to exalt means to lift up the Lord, his name. Uh, the name is someone's reputation. If you have a good name, it means you have a good reputation. So we're glorifying uh, him by, by exalting his, his glory, his name, his reputation. Psalm 69.30, I will praise the name of God with a song. So we just got done singing. That's a way that we do this. Not the only way, but it is a legitimate way. If you are actually from your heart thinking these truths about God and not just thinking about, well, what I got to do later today or how does my voice sound with this? But you're actually thinking about the greatness and the goodness of God as we're, as we're singing these things together. And then it says, I will magnify him with thanksgiving. So that's another way that we're uh, exalting or magnifying him with a thankful heart, giving him thanks from our, from, from our heart and with our lives responding with thankfulness for who he is and what he's done for us. So these are two scriptural passages that use uh, this term to, to magnify. Now, okay, we're the, we're the church. Uh, we're the church that was founded in the New Testament. Uh, is this just, was this for Israel, or is this what we are called to do as the, the New Testament church? Well, in 1 Peter 2.9, uh, Peter ref- is, says something here to the church using language uh, that had been used of Old Testament Israel and applying this to the churches, the, the, the New Testament, the, the people of God, the body of Christ, and what is our mission. So take a look at this, what Peter says to the church. He says, but you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession. Now he's not talking to uh, the, the Jewish people at this point, like it was in the Old Testament, they were literally a race of people that was chosen for God's uh, possession. Uh, as the um, Old Covenant uh, people of God, but as the church, we are like that in a sense, but not really one literal race. We're a people group that is composed of all different nationalities, all different people groups. And what unites us together is that we are in Christ. And we are believers united in him as one people. And so when it says this, a holy nation, it's not talking about uh, America or Britain or Israel. This is talking about we've been pulled together as the, the people of God, as the church. And then it says that we are for his possession. And then it gives a so that. And whenever you see a, a that in scripture, it tells you here's the purpose that you may proclaim the excellencies of him, him who called you out of darkness and into his marvelous light. So here it's specifically saying that purpose of the church is to proclaim the excellencies of the Lord, of Jesus Christ, to uh, make his 
glory, his, his greatness, his excellencies known to the world to make that uh, lifted up in our hearts as well. So when we talk about the mission in church glorifying God, um, it's uh, magnifying him. Sometimes we explain it this way, this is helpful, that when we talk about magnifying God, we always need to remember that we don't magnify God like you magnify something with a microscope. A microscope takes something that is actually pretty little and makes it just kind of look big to us. An amoeba's little. You put it under the microscope, it makes it look big so you can see it, but it's little. That's not how we magnify God, because God is not little. He is huge. He seems small to so many people, uh, seems insignificant in their life, uh, but he is like uh, one of the stars in the sky, Antares or something, that is, uh, uh, other stars are millions of times the size of the sun, but they look like hardly anything out there because they're so far away. But if you magnify with a telescope, it takes something that actually is huge and makes it closer to what it actually is. And that's what we're doing when we magnify the Lord is we're helping us to see him for more of who he actually is and helping the people around us to see him for more of how big and how glorious and awesome that he actually is. And that's what we're doing. And this is the main point of everything. This is why God created uh, the world. This is why everything exists. In fact, there's one... uh, catechism that has the first question saying, what is the chief end of man? It's the Westminster Shorter Catechism, question one. And the answer is, man's chief end is to glorify God and enjoy him forever. And I think that's true. It's dead on. That is the, when it says the chief end, it means the main purpose. What is the ultimate purpose why we all exist? To glorify God and enjoy him forever. And we're going to see those are actually not two different things, but they're actually the same thing put together. Because, point number two, God is glorified when hearts treasure Christ above all else. And this is what true worship is. We said, did we have good worship this morning? Um, The way that we would know is not by just measuring the volume. The way that we, you really know, is there good worship? God knows by what is going on in your heart. Because you could be singing really well, but if your mind, your heart, is not focused on God and his excellencies, gratitude for who he is, you may be producing um, pleasant-sounding sound waves going out. That's not necessarily worship. If it's just about, well, God loves to hear just you know, beautiful sounds from us, okay, and at least worship there, we realize that it's the, it's the congregation that is, uh, we're the performers, you're not the audience. God is our audience that we're directing our worship to. But ultimately, it's not about, you know, the, the vocals that are uh, being produced by our mouths and, and our uh, vocal cords. And to some of you are saying, you know, thank you, because I don't know how good, you know, my singing was this morning. Uh, but that's the thing. Worship doesn't depend on how beautiful a singer you are. It's about what's going on in here. That you worship God with your, with your core of your being, with your, with your heart. Uh, that is what you worship with. Not really, you can express it with your mouth, but it actually comes from your heart. 
And so even if you were sick all week and you have whatever things been going around and you totally lost your voice, uh, you could still have worshiped better here than maybe anyone else. If your heart is in tune to the Lord and you're projecting thankfulness and, and praise and lifting them up in your heart. Because God knows that. God sees that. And God knows uh, when you are delighting in him. And that's what brings him glory. When our hearts treasure Jesus Christ. And that just is an add-on. We really love this other thing. We kind of love Jesus. He's really worshipped when we love him above everything else. And that's going to be displayed in our, in our lives, in our attitudes, in our choices. John Piper is famous for saying this, and I think it's helpful. God is most glorified in us when we are most satisfied in him. And you see what part of this means is that Christianity, the message, is not about drudgery. It is ultimately not about uh, just you need to be miserable to give God the glory. God actually wants you to have joy. He wants you to have a heart that is satisfied. But when you find your satisfaction in him above all other things, that's what brings God ultimate glory. That's a beautiful thing. That means that... uh, the, the Christian message is about giving you satisfaction, but the right type of satisfaction. A satisfaction that actually brings glory to the Lord. And this means, as we're trying to tell people that God is the center, that God is the one to be glorified, uh, the message that I'm giving you and the message says, as you relay this to other people and you try to tell other people about Jesus Christ, Uh, This is not a downer. This is a beautiful, good thing. Being glorified is what God deserves, and it is the greatest good that a human being can have. God gets the glory, and we get the joy. How beautiful that message is. The way that God has set up this world, that, uh, that God is the ultimate treasure, and then if our hearts are tuned so that we can appreciate him as his ultimate treasure, he gets the glory that he ought to have. Okay, this isn't vanity for God. If, we, if I went around saying, well, I deserve to be the center of the universe, I deserve to be glorified, you'd say, well, that's messed up. And it would be, because I am not the center of the universe. And when you uh, live your life, and this is what we do as sinners, uh, where we pretend that we're the center of the universe, glorify me, you know, love me, give me the attention. Yeah, that's messed up because you are not the center of the universe. You are not the fountain of all joy. Uh, But it's not wrong for God to think he's the center of the universe uh, because he is. He is the source of all creation. Everything is from him and and, uh, to him, for him. All these things together actually exist for his glory. It's appropriate for God and it also is the best thing for us. It's not, give me glory and I'll make you miserable. It's, you give me glory best by, uh, by appreciating me and realizing that, uh, that I am the satisfying treasure that is out there. That I am your reason uh, to, to live. And Adam and Eve had this from the beginning. Uh, sin messed this up. And instead of having this beautiful situation where they find their joy in God, uh, when we sin and we uh, put something else in that place, we put an idol in a place, we put something as this, this false treasure, uh, we're taking the glory away from God and we're also robbing ourselves 
of the joy and happiness that we would have if we made God our highest treasure. Because nothing else actually satisfies. Nothing else actually fulfills us. But God can and God does. And therefore, this message of uh, finding this in Jesus Christ is a beautiful thing. And it would be self-centered of God not to put himself forward as the ultimate treasure. I've explained it like this, that if you happen to have what was, uh, objectively speaking, the most beautiful painting in the world, and it just, you know, it's not a beauty is in the eye of the beholder, it actually was. And everyone who looked upon this painting, they just, their, their heart was changed, uh, they were overcome with, with beauty, with joy. What would be the best thing for you to do? Say, so, well, I gotta keep this safe. Uh, so I'm going to put it up in the attic and I'm going to uh, wrap it up some stuff and put it in a vault and lock it up there so it stays safe. Or would it be loving for you to say, I'm going to put this thing on display and I'm going to encourage as many people that can to come and look at this because it is the most beautiful thing in the, the world and their hearts will be filled with joy and happiness if, if they look at this. If they're not blind, if they can look at this and they'd see and it's going to be a beautiful thing. If that was the case, the most loving thing you could do would be to put it on display and to encourage everyone they can to please look at this, gaze at this. If there was something wrong with their eyesight, to help them to, to be healed so they could look at this and see this. And that's what God is doing. Except that it's not just that he has the most beautiful painting or the most beautiful thing. He is the most beautiful being that there is. And so the most loving thing for him to do is to put himself on display. Now, you can invite all the blind people in the world to come and gaze at this, but if they're blind, they're not going to see it. And our sin makes us blind. And so part of what God needs to do is to, to open our eyes. And he does it when we're saved. Part of what he does, he gives us a new heart so that instead of uh, looking at God and saying, Ugh, I don't like this, I don't, I, I, this makes me uncomfortable, I don't like it, a heart that is corrected and actually views beauty as beautiful, so he, he changes our heart, he opens our eyes uh, to see him for who he is and to find the satisfaction that is there. Jesus came and died for this so that we could have that repaired relationship, so we could have a, you could have a born-again heart. So instead of having to be separated from uh, God as the source of all beauty forever because we're rebel sinners, we could have our relationship repaired and instead, be with him forever and ever. Which also shows that God, this is not a selfish thing of God. Because Jesus, the God-man, had to die for this to happen. And for his glory to be displayed. And his glory is displayed most in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. God displayed his love for us in this, the Bible says. So Psalm 32:11 Be glad in the Lord and rejoice, O righteous and shout for joy, all you upright in heart. One of the Puritans, Thomas Watson, in ages past said this in a work that he has called Man's Chief End. If there be enough in God to satisfy the angels, then surely there's enough to satisfy us. Fresh joy springs continually from his face, and he is as much to be desired after millions of years by glorified souls as at the first moment. There is a fullness in God that satisfies 
and yet so much sweetness that the soul still desires. God is a delicious good. But be warned, Satan will do anything he can to hijack this and to make it about something else, and he's subtle. You can make the cross about something where instead of the glory of God, you know, sometimes the cross is about how valuable you are, how wonderful of a person you are. He just loved you because you're so beautiful and so valuable. And he just, the, the devil will take things, take a little bit of truth and twist it. I get nervous sometimes when churches are talking about, look at all the ways God is moving at our church. And that could be good. And we want to see God moving you know, at our church. But where's the emphasis? There's a big difference between look what God is doing through my church and look what God is doing through my church and through us. Who is really getting the glory? Don't let Satan never hijack. Final point. If this is the ultimate point, if this is the ultimate reason why everything else in this whole series is about the glory of Jesus Christ, uh, we need to remember that. That means everything else is subservient to this. The glory of God isn't one thing among the others. Well, there's, you know, worshiping God in his glory, and there's discipleship and fellowship and evangelism, uh, and, and worshiping God is one of those. No, everything else is for the purpose of the glory of God. Evangelism, discipleship, and everything that we do is for the ultimate purpose of the glory of Jesus Christ. And I can prove this. I can demonstrate this. We have some sermons coming up that we're going to be talking about uh, discipleship, uh, what, is, what is real Christian fellowship, evangelism, service. And scripturally, every one of these is for the glory of God. Discipleship. So when we think of our, our mission statement again, the mission of our church is to magnify the glory of God by multiplying and maturing followers of Christ. Those other things exist for, again, the main purpose of the glory of God. So, uh, discipleship, if we think of that, that discipleship exists for the glory of God. 1 Peter 2, 11 through 12, talking again to the church. Beloved, I urge you as sojourners and exiles, part of our identity, we are, we're not really at home in this world. We're like sojourners and exiles. To abstain from the passions of the flesh, which wage war against your soul. Keep your conduct among the Gentiles honorable, so that when they speak against you as evildoers, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day of visitation. So our changed life and living for him and not just living after our sin, ultimately for the glory of God. This is just one example of a verse that points this out. What about fellowship? When we think of fellowship, it's not just you know, sipping coffee, but actual you know, care for each other. Fellowship is and ought to be specifically for the glory of God. Romans 15, 5-7, May the God of endurance and encouragement grant you to live such, in such harmony with one another in accord with Christ Jesus, that together you may with one voice glorify the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, welcome one another as Christ has welcomed you. Why? For the glory of God. Points it out twice in that passage. Real welcoming, real uh, Christian togetherness and harmony together, unity together. 
evangelism? Do we do it so that people don't have to go to hell? And that's what we want. We want you to be rescued from the, the faith that you would have apart from uh, God. That's true. But ultimately, it is, it is also for and even more so that we want to see God glorified in the hearts and lives of more and more people. It's not just getting you out of hell, but it's making you a, a worshiper of him forever, which is, again, what he deserves, and it's also your greatest good. So evangelism is for the glory of God. Just one verse, uh, 2 Corinthians 4.15, For it is all for your sake, so that as grace extends to more and more people, okay, that's evangelism, God's grace is going out to more and more people, it may increase thanksgiving to the glory of God. We want to see more people come to know Jesus Christ. Yes, because we care about them, uh, but we want the greatest good for them. And even more so, we want God to be glorified. He is the ultimate purpose of all of this. And lastly, we'll talk about service. Service, our ministry, things that we do. All Christians should be involved in different things that are, that are serving uh, God, that are building up the body of Christ. And guess what? Service is also for the glory of God. At least if we're doing it in the right way. People could do it for their own glory. Look at me. Um, but it's for him. First Peter 4, 10 through 11. For each has received a gift. Use it to serve one another. So not selfishly, one another. As good stewards of God's varied grace. Whoever speaks as one who speaks the oracles of God. Whoever serves as one who serves by the strength that God supplies, in order that in everything God may be glorified through Jesus Christ. To him belong glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. If, God, if the glory of God is the most important thing, then this means that our, there are many, many things that are not the most important things for us our egos, legalism, man-made traditions. It means the church does not exist for, for my personal preferences, your personal preferences, my felt needs. Um, our church does not exist for the personal comforts of the people who go here. If God is the center of the church, it means that I am not. It means that you are not the center of this church. Jesus Christ is. And we are here to together put the spotlight on Jesus Christ and to keep it there. I see a lot of signs of health in our church. We want to keep amplifying these things. They're very intentional things that we do because we believe that Jesus Christ and his glory is uh, the ultimate focus. The lessons that we teach from uh, sermons to youth group to, to Sunday school, the kids blast, point to God, not mere moral lessons. God is the ultimate hero of every story. Our worship points to God it is not a concert for our enjoyment. It does not celebrate how great we are, but how great he is. Our fellowship points to God. We encourage one another to live for his glory. Our evangelism points to God. Salvation is by, by grace alone, through Jesus Christ alone. People serve because they want to see God glorified. People are motivated because of the glory of God. People forgive because of the glory of God. And that is more important than hanging on to anything else. People tithe and they, and they give their financial resources because they care about the glory of God and that the glory of God is more important than other things we could be doing with, with those tithes and offerings. And we are willing to give those for that work. 
People are humble because they believe the glory belongs to God, not to us. People make decisions with their time to show that they treasure, uh, what they treasure most is the glory of God. And we pray because we want to see God glorified and because God is glorified when we are absolutely dependent on him. If this is true, we're to be people that are full of joy, focus, purpose, humility, and love. We're going to take the Lord's Supper, remembering what Christ did for us. So we transition for that and finish the sermon. I just want to read to you from uh, the book of Revelation. And this account, this, this glimpse of worship of Jesus Christ in heaven. And we know that we don't do this perfectly. We don't, all these things that we aspire to, we don't live this all perfectly. We want to aim towards this. But let our hearts be captivated by the glory of Jesus Christ as, and let us do that as we, we think about this ultimate worship that we see. This is Revelation 5, starting with verse 8. And when he had taken the scroll, the four living creatures and the 24 elders fell down before the Lamb. That's Jesus Christ each holding a harp and golden bowls full of incense, which are the prayers of the saints. And they sang a new song, saying, Worthy are you to take the scroll and to open its seals, for you were slain, and by your blood you ransomed people for God from every tribe and language and people and nation, and have made them a kingdom and priests to our God, and they shall reign on the earth. Then I looked and I heard around the throne and the living creatures and the elders, the voice of many angels, numbering myriads and myriads and thousands of thousands, with a loud voice saying, Worthy is the Lamb who is slain to receive power and wealth and wisdom and might and honor and glory and blessing. And I heard every creature in heaven and on earth and under the earth and in the sea and all that is in them saying, To him who sits on the throne and to the Lamb be blessing and honor, and glory, and might forever and ever. And the four living creatures said, Amen. And the elders fell down and worshipped. Let's pray. Lord God, we come before you acknowledging that Jesus Christ is the head of this church, that we exist for you, that we're here because of you, that we exist as the body of Christ. Lord, forgive us of any time that we have put the spotlight on ourselves, that there's been anything that is taken away from all arrows pointing to Jesus Christ in your glory. In everything we do, Lord, may it be for the glory of Jesus Christ. Thank you that you are so worthy. You are worthy of, of honor and glory and the devotion and the love of our hearts. You redeemed us by your shed blood on the cross. We cannot come before you because we are good. We are not but it's because Jesus Christ died for sinners that we can approach you in, in faith, Lord God. So help us all turn to you. Help us all love you more and more. May you continuously open the eyes of our hearts so that we can see you, love you, treasure you, bring you glory with our hearts, with our voices, and our choices. May you be lifted up. You are worth it. You are worth our worship. In the name of Jesus Christ, our Lord, we pray these things. Amen.